My name is Bob Babbitt, and welcome to Babbittville Classic Rewind, a collection of my favorite interviews with some of the legends of endurance sports that have aired over the past three decades. I'm hoping you will enjoy these interviews as much as I do. As always, endurance lives here. Let's go back to 1968, the Olympics okay. in, in Mexico. Right. I was, I was sitting in my hometown on the riverbank listening on a, on a transistor radio to the, to the final of the 1500 meters. And really, let's face it, it was down to uh, Jim Ryan and Kip, Kip Taino. Yeah. Kip Taino, uh, and and uh, of course it was just a great. It was a great race, and you know the static was coming in, and I was so energized, and and I I sort of listened to the race. You know, Taino won it, and and uh, Ryan was second, and I went away, and I thought I just said to myself, I, I, I that's that is my dream. That is a goal. I want. I'd love to go to the Olympics. I was so energized. Well, you know, four years later, in 1972, I lined up in the first round of the 1500 meters. On my right was Jim Ryan. On my left was Kip Kaino. <laughs> <laughs> How about that for a dream? <laughs> Welcome, boys. Thanks. Having both you guys in studio, man. And another guy's joining us from his lovely palatial estate in Minnesota somewhere. We could tell you where it is, but we'd have to kill you. Greg Lamont, three time winner of the Tour de France. Mr. Lamont, how you doing, Greg? I'm doing great. Did you ever train with these boys? Oh, yeah. I with, uh, well, with Scott Tinley quite a bit. Scott Molina, a little bit. I, I think we did one day of riding. He, he killed me. <laughs> Your memory's worse than mine. There you go. There yeah. you go. I remember going for a ride with Craig one time. Yeah? Just, I mean, he was with one of his gearhead guys, and yeah. I was sort of tagging along, and we were... Out in the back country, and we turned around, and there was like 400 people who were following us. <laughs> because you were with Greg LeBot. Yeah. yeah. Go, who are those guys, Greg? And you're like the Pied Piper. Are those your buddies? And I don't know. And Greg's <laughs> like, I don't know who these guys are. Where'd they come from? <laughs> hey, Greg, he's got a new, uh, Greg's got a new bike out, new Titanium LeBot. Now, when's the Titanium come out? Uh, it's, uh, it'll be out in December, November. Ah, we people. had a, a Trek uh, company had their big, instead of doing the uh, Las Vegas show, they did their own show last week, and we... Uh, kind of had the whole product line of Lamont, Fisher, Trek all together. They brought about I don't know four, five, six hundred dealers in. So we're 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 um, we're adding uh, two titanium bikes to uh, my line. So cool. And your line's doing well. Very well. Yeah. You know, yeah. mainly road bikes. Um, and, and but you know, it's uh, they're they're actually one of their fastest growing lines in, in the Trek Trek what? line. But still, a, you know, it's still a small relative sales compared to say the mountain bikes but it's coming back i think people enjoy you know it's kind of like snowboarders skiers going to snowboard and coming back to skiing and you know road riders going to mountain biking and they realize they like to do both right you know all three of you guys really were pioneers in in your sports uh st and, and skid and in triathlon and, and you're to a certain degree you're almost like human lab rats in terms of the type of training and racing you did not really knowing um probably just trying to figure out what to do as you went. Looking, looking back on it now, uh, how would you change the way you trained back then or raced? W- would you choose not to get shot, Greg? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you asking? I'm asking uh, all you guys. Not to get shot. That's the... yeah, that shot thing was bad. That was bad. <laughs> no, but besides, for Greg, when you were back uh, training, you were obviously following what other people were doing. What, uh, what was good? What was bad? What What did you looking back on it now? What you What do you have changed? Well, I was I think I was fortunate in my career to have some really good coaches and 
even starting with Eddie B back in the 70s, he came with a physiology background. So I started getting really good training advice, but I never, I mean, I always kind of read my own books and kind of dissected things the way I thought I worked best for me. But then I had a a coach, Sir Guimard, who again, was training from going to the sports medicine school. And then I had Paul Coakley, which was the guy that probably educated me the most about physiology. But he was Swiss and he was so regimented in his training. And I think one of the things I learned at the end of my career, because I was racing so poorly, but I I actually uh, studied it even more and sought out advice by other leading, you know, trainers and physiologists and that. And I think the one, number one thing, uh, if you're not on drugs, is uh, is recuperation. And I think I uh, sometimes would get into a program of just uh, methodical programming where you, you kind of plan your rest days and recuperation. But uh, I think you really, I think the best athletes, I was always good with that, really know their body and when they're overtrained, you don't make any imp- improvement when you're when you're over overtrained. Right. And the secret is to feel, you know, good at least two three days a week. And if you're not, you're kind of stale. And I used a I used a watt measurement at the end of my career, and uh, that's the number one thing. If I could have had that from the beginning of my career, where I could record race after race, actually know my output, right. know where I stood when I won the Tour de France. And where I, if I got shot, how far down I was. <laughs> uh, well, it would give you, it would even from a training point of view, if you're sick and out of, out of, um, for some reason, out of the sport for a period, you wouldn't even attempt to race a race unless you had a certain given power output that would let you finish a race. Right. Yeah, how, so. How about it, Skid? Let, let me let me ask Greg uh, one more question because I grew up in California and we, um, I heard about Greg when he was just a teenager. And can you tell us, Greg, what you were doing, how much you were actually riding when you were like 16, 17 years old when you were? You yeah, know, I mean, doing... I was. I mean, I was going against like the coach's trend, and you know, I would train about, I'd say, in, in mileage, two fifty, three hundred miles a week. This is at what age? At sixteen, seventeen, yeah. eighteen. But as I got more uh, educated about training, I was, you know, the pro cycling. There were guys that, you know, I'd do thirty hours a week and. And I found no matter what, if I did a quality week, 20 hours to 22 hours is really tops. And I would do periods where I'd have a finishing session of like a four-week period of training where I'd top out at 35 hours. But the reality, when you race like three, four days a week professionally, you're recovering in between. And uh, you can't pile in those, you know, horrendous uh, horrendous hours in a week. But, you know, I was probably, I'd say... 15 to 16 hours, 14, 12 hours as a as a junior a week. Now, it doesn't sound <laughs> a, lot, a lot, but That's Chris, a lot. Boardman, Chris Boardman, when I met him, he set the hour record, won the Olympics in the pursuit, and he did that on no more than 12 hours a week. Right. And But he was at a very specific, and the more specific the event, the more specific your training, the less you need to have all these variations. I believe with, like a triathlete has to train so many different sports that Overtraining's got to be a big, uh, yeah. a big, a big danger. Well, and you two guys, Scott Molina and Scott Tinley, really were sort of the instigators of, of pushing the, the mileage. You think? I mean, in terms of you guys would train with each other and do long rides and long runs and sort of pile them on each other all the time. Well, I don't think we did that on purpose. No, I I'm think, just saying that was to I get better. Yeah. Yeah. 
we didn't know any better for one. Yeah, that's I guess that's what I'm saying. There was no technology available. Right. There were no, no heart rate monitors. There no coaching. No, there was coached. no wattages. There were right. no coaches. There and were that, no. That was the way cycling was too. Right. Really. That that ruffle of uh, this Molina with his freaking pulling a beer out of his plastic <laughs> bag. You can't drink on air, actually. Oh, duels. But you know, you know, there was no precedence as far as technological information. Uh, as to who had done what and what worked and what didn't work. Right. And, you know, I can remember asking Scott in 1982, I go, you know, what do you think? And he says, well, this is what an elite-level marathoner does. This yeah. is what the best swimmers in the world do. And this is what, uh, you know, the, the top cyclists do. So I'm going to combine all three. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, his, so, uh, many of his training weeks were, on, you know, he, could, he can address this, but I, I believe they were well over 50 hours a week. Wow. And, of course, you know, part of that was because he was in a marriage he didn't really want to be. He was he really a lot be. of time he didn't want to be around the house. <laughs> but, of course, I got sucked into it because I lived down the street, and I was like, all right, you know, if I want to be like him, i got to hang a train like him. And, so. and your family liked that a lot, too. Uh, they didn't like it a <laughs> real lot. But <laughs> uh, No, I, I, I just got better the more I trained. Right. And uh, and that was, I found that from probably age 15 when I was a swimmer. Right. The more I trained, the better, better I got. Than, yeah. And so I, I didn't have a problem. It wasn't a point of diminishing returns where you felt like... Uh, not not at first. Yeah. You know, after about five years of it, there certainly was. But um, but it seems like when you're young, especially when you're a teenager, that's, yeah. why, that's why I was asking Greg, when you're a teenager, you can you can just oh. do anything. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I could have done five... I, what, I think also, I, maybe you guys can even uh, kind of correct me or whatever, but I do think when you're probably, I mean, when you're doing, a, uh, say, an Ironman or... Uh, the, the, the intensity pace would be a constant, so it's kind of like you you can regulate your output all the time, and you probably get do get better with a certain amount of overtraining because you probably utilize fats better. You get uh, an efficiency there, and when you have to start trying to combine super high intense intervals, that's kind of the danger. Like a cyclist right. might try to add an interval day or two intervals a day a week, and so if you try to combine high distance and intervals, and that's usually what kind of fries the people. And uh, but I just don't know how you guys do it. I mean, honestly, when I think of those hours and oof. Well, and then a lot of that obviously is the running has to be the most dangerous part because of the pounding that goes along with that. Yeah, but like so, Scott said, you know, when you're 16, 18, 20, 22 years old, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, but you guys not, were doing that up until and not really feel it. Right. And. Well, it, it became a specific thing, too. You know, we would ride some of these 400-mile weeks, right. and our average speed would be 16 or 18 miles an hour, and that would include shops at the don't, stops at donuts and all yeah. those kinds and of looking for cars. things for health foods yeah. Yeah, and running errands and whatnot. But, of course, you come to a race, and you try and average 22 or 24 miles an hour, and you've only been training 16. And right. You know, you don't have the sports specificity that Greg's referring yeah, to. Yeah, right. So the, the 30 hours that he's doing are, are pretty intense. Or well, pretty I, I found if I if I wanted to have the quality, I there's kind of an analogy that I always use, and I try to if I talk to people and even riders when I was racing, and and even cyclists, and, and, and most of the time they, they there's a the series of the classics, say the Tour of Flanders, Perio Bay, they're very long races, 170 miles, take seven seven eight hours, and uh, and riders would get in there, and you'd have a portion of riders that you know are dominant. But there's a, you know, always a large portion that they go into these races and they're dropped after, say, 120 miles. And most riders would come back and say, geez, 
I only made it 200K, so I got to go back and train longer. But the reality, they weren't getting dropped in cycling. They weren't getting dropped because they couldn't do the endurance. They were getting dropped because their anaerobic threshold, their lactate line was too low. Their ability to do high intensity output was too low. So that was getting them dropped. But their their thought process was I got to go miles, do more, more miles. miles, more miles. Well, but that's sort of a that whole mentality. I remember Salazar was on Alberto Salazar was on here once, and he talked about when he was a ten thousand meter runner that he was the best marathoner in the world. And as soon as he started thinking of himself as a marathoner and started substituting quantity for quality, he started going backwards. Is that right? That's I've, I've used that just because from an observation is most of the ten k runners they go out and do their very best one, the first one or second one. Right, they they start doing piling the miles on because now they're a marathon runner and their performance actually suffers. Right, and we're seeing the same thing with Ironman. Someone like a Luke Van Lierde jumps in, and a lot of the the sprint people or Olympic distance people come in, and they have a, a good Ironman their first and second time out, or they blow up. But a, a lot of them do pretty well the first time out. Yeah, uh, you know, I have. To, let me let me say one thing too. I've I've heard you know seen coaches that take. I just still remember one coach that uh, had the East German training secrets or the training programs right and so he thought well i'm just going to duplicate those and i'm going to have our riders riding incredibly well but the one thing in the 70s what the east germans were notorious for were anabolic steroids and a one training program on drugs is a completely different <laughs> training program natural and right. that's basically you know these doctors who do the cycling teams dr ferrari dr conconi it's well, well documented is that, yeah, their training knowledge is okay and moderate, but their knowledge of chemistry is exquisite. Now, Greg, they balance these guys on a day-to-day basis so they can handle a huge workload. Right. When you go back to the tour, which you do every year, uh, what, su- what surprises you? What changes have you seen in, in the cyclists and in the sport itself? Well, I mean, I, I think... You know, I think I, I witnessed the change, a dramatic change in the sport in the early 90s. I, I saw the speeds of the Tour de France immediately come up in 91 and 92, and it was usually the same group of riders that had the same doctors were dominating. <laughs> I, honestly. And, and it was it was shocking, the difference. I mean, can you imagine? I won the Tour de France in 1990. My team won the team classification. And in, in two years and three years later, we weren't capable of finishing riders in the Tour de France. And my problem is not that. My had a health problem, but I think the, the, uh, the introduction of EPO, growth hormone, testosterone into the peloton at that time in a scientific way elevated the speeds. And if you weren't on it, you weren't competing. You weren't competitive. Now, in triathlon, you guys feel the same thing, or do you, is, it, is it harder to observe there? Well... <clears throat> I mean, obviously, you know, what Greg is referring to is very prevalent and it's one one of the major problems with sports, professional elite and Olympic across the board. Right. And and not specifically in former third world countries, East Germany, but probably worse in America because, uh, and unrealized because of our adherence to science and right. and the the better economies and these, sure. these drugs all cost a lot of money and the, yeah of course and the value of a gold medal but yeah. you know i mean i look back at my career and i and and i think about all the things that i'm thankful for but probably the absolute top of the list is that i got out before i had to make those kinds of just of moral decisions right you know not that i would ever ever be tempted because you know i want to be able to sleep with myself at night 
but I know it exists right. in triathlon. I mean, well, I don't I surmise, but I, I absolutely know for a fact, and it's a sad state. Um, that well, cycling is just horrendous right now. Yeah, it's and it's, it's and it's difficult because the, the saddest part is is the riders. I witnessed how our team was torn apart. Uh, I'm saying these same guys won the Tour de France as a team in 1990, and we never had a doctor on the team. We the riders, Roger was totally against you know any kind of medical advice because it would imply uh, drug use. Sure, and uh, we. We're also at the same time the sponsors were like putting tremendous pressure on the coach to get performance because they wanted results. Absolutely. So he would pressure the riders, and then he wouldn't believe that these riders were just not training hard enough. So he'd have them train harder, which would put them in a hole. Reverse effect, get them even more overtrained. And I had riders leave the team in '93 to find a team that would uh, would find you know have a medical program and. Uh, and that's t- because they, they had a wife, they had a kid, and they weren't, and, and these guys, you know, most of the guys don't graduate from sure. high school or go to college, and uh, it's their only way of making a living. And it is, it's a very difficult situation, and today's cycling, with the power of the drugs, it would be very hard to stay. You would have to really make this decision, either you're going to do it or not, and most likely you wouldn't be that competitive. You know, and I wonder with the with the uh, in the tour, do they test? Um, do they test just the people end up on the podium, or they test everybody, Greg? They they test podium. I I'm actually not aware of how the exact yeah. exact when I was racing, they would test the top three and two at random every day. And I'm not ex- I believe that's still the way it's going. Uh, but the fact is, everything that's making them go fast is is undetectable. So the drug tests are only going to catch something that. If somebody takes too much of a test, the testosterone goes above their natural limit, they would get busted. But uh, you know, the I you know it's it's a sport. It, I've just read a whole deal on the Olympics. It's their number one problem is is uh, is uh, legitimacy in the sport again. Right. And that's for every sport. Yeah, that's what's so hard is when you when you watch it, you really wonder who's clean and who isn't. And I know Mark Ziegler writes for the San Diego Union Tribune and covers the Olympics. He just feels everybody's dirty. He just feels it across the board. And it's sad because the yeah. guy who isn't right. isn't getting any credit. Right. For what they're doing. Right. Again, three-time Tour de France champion, Greg LeMond. Two-time Ironman champion, Scott Finley. The Terminator, Scott Molina, 1988 Ironman champion. Age group winner. Age group champion at the L.A. Triathlon today. He dominated the 40-year-old division. Oh, and Barb Lindquist <laughs> and uh, Chris McCormick came away with $20,000 apiece. Molina's going, why didn't I have that type of prize first when I was around? Joe Indurain and, and Lamont and Kiefel down there, did you talk to them at all about this year's tour and what the mindset needs to be to win that thing? Uh, I talked to Miguel a little bit about it. I, was yeah. out. I picked him up at the airport and uh, he asked me what I'd been doing and I said that I just, because I had just gotten to Texas literally just before he did, told him that I had just finished up a camp in the Pyrenees and he was like, he said to me, this my Spanish isn't that great, and he doesn't speak English, so this is sort of in Spanish. He says, "He says, well, what were you doing in the Pyrenees?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "I said I was doing a training camp. I said we're going to try and win the Tour de France." He said, "You looked at me like I was crazy." <laughs> in studio, Scott Molina, Scott Tinley, online with us from Minnesota, staying up very late, Mr. Greg Lamont. Hey, Greg, before we, uh, I want to make sure that we don't forget to mention, besides. The new Le Mans Titanium that's going to be coming out from Trek uh, very shortly. 
you also have a new line of Le Mans stuff from Target. Is that uh, that'll be available at Target. Target. That's right. Coming up, it's lining up. It's a high-end line, September 18th, right? Well, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a line of accessories. Uh, I help design for a higher-end. Uh, Way too high for you, Tinley. Tinley can't afford that stuff. I want to walk into a Target and see Greg Lamont sitting there. My life will be complete. <laughs> in the corner, in the back, <laughs> with nobody around him, twiddling his thumb. Eating I'll, a Philly cheesesteak. I'll go, oh, my God, what is wrong with our society? <laughs> Melina used to actually cook in a Target, I think. Is that what you know? Okay. Yeah, I worked at the grill for six months. At Target? Yeah, you got free food if you work there. <laughs> see? So that's why I took that In job. Pittsburgh, California. I've got uh, Concord, neighboring. I've got oh, film of that, too. You wait for the... Yeah. You got video of Melina flipping yeah. burgers back then? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that is good. That is good. So that comes out September 18th. What's what's the line, Greg? What what type of stuff? Well, you know, it's uh, pumps, locks, helmets, uh, uh, basic. What, what kind of pumps? I mean, for bicycles, for other parts, or oh, anatomical pumps, or oh, listen oh. to you, Tilly. <laughs> Tilly can use that. Yeah, pumps, for, you know, uh, uh, milk feeding pumps. There we go. There we go. They're, uh, they're, it's it's a complete line. You know, it's it's, it's going to be their kind of pro. Uh, they're a, a pro level, uh, pro shop level uh, line in the Target store. So we'll have basically all the accessories you need for, um, uh, you know, riding your bike. Cool. And the other thing that, uh, that Greg just launched is the Revmaster, a uh, indoor cycling program that started yeah. in July. That's with Stairmaster. And, yeah. Uh, He's a I busy guy, help. Esty. What's that? I was going to say, Greg's a busy guy. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, I'd rather be busy than, than I'm never bored. So even if I didn't have this, I'd, I, uh, I have a lot of a lot of fun things to do. And, and how old are the kids now, Greg? I got a uh, 16-year-old, uh, 13-year-old, and a 11 in a month. She's wow. my youngest is a daughter, so she's uh, she's gonna be 11 in about a month. And are they are they athletic at all, or uh, what are they into? Yeah, we're a, we're a weird family. We're not into sports. <laughs> uh, well, I'm a totally into sports. I'm I'm in, into recreational sports. I do Fishing. all sports, but now our kids are really snowboarders, skateboarders, and we took up we go surfing a couple times a year. And well, what are you guys doing living in Minnesota then? I mean, I don't get know. your I'm butt out here to someday, San Diego. In five or six years, I got to have a place in Hawaii because I just want to I want to be there half the year. I want to be Montana skiing half the year, and that's that's the way I want to. He's he's yeah. building Greggy's building this huge resort, so we have a place to go in the winter. I'm building our huge resort. It's a huge resort that I have I, property. I yeah. know about that. I'm, yeah, I'm into that. You see, you're but into you, that, but you, you ain't sharing because we're we're going. We get to go there. You guys can come up. It's it'll be it's it's going to be a great great year. New <laughs> ski area in Montana. All right. So it's uh, yeah, I'm 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 busy, but I'm trying to balance it. And I might have a I might have a, a potential cycling sponsor for a professional team in Europe. So really, I mean, you're going to start back racing again. Yeah, I'm racing again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in shape and, and try to come back. See, Molina and Tinley are still racing, man. They're going after this stuff. I wouldn't call it racing. It's more like, well, yeah, for I him, it's do funny. it again. Molina is. Molina's serious about this stuff. Two o two. You guys really never stopped. I just. Did you go two o two today? Yeah, I went two o two. But I did stop. Oh, don't say we didn't stop. Yeah, that's Shit. true. That, I stopped. You did stop for a while. Oh, yeah. Exercising. You were almost as, oh, as big yeah. as me. You were oh, like a mobile home well, Not that big. No, nah, nah, <laughs> not, not, not sort of Winnebago size. But <laughs> more. That's me. Oh, man. That hurt. My back still hurts from that one. <laughs> oh, God. That's tough. I mean, so it's, 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 both Scott, how, how old are you guys? 
I'm 33 now. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 40 and happy about it. In dog years. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an old car, though, Greg. You don't look at the age, you look at the mileage. That's true. Oh, you got way too much mileage. <laughs> you got a lot but of well mileage. well-maintained. You're about 90, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 50 hours a week for all those years, man. You, you might be 90. <laughs> Yeah, but we're learning now. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, we, you know, yeah, we made, we made a lot of mistakes, but we've learned in the past couple of years so many things. That, well, I uh, think everybody is. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more published. I mean, there's just a lot more knowledge. Published? There. No, it's more like, oh, all of a sudden you're just kind of rolling down the road and you go, what the hell am I doing this for? <laughs> so you go home and take a nap. Well, I keep flirting with I want a cross-country ski race, and then I go, God, do I want to kill myself? Uh you know, it's just like uh, that's a great sport, and you know what? Actually, you're pretty good at that. I've heard too. Yeah. I, I did, Why not? I, I mean, they got a master's program. I, I never, I never roller ski or uh, get enough fitness to actually race, though. I don't want to go out there and be dead last. That's all right. No, I'm being dead last. So I, I'm into a fun sport, you know, downhill skiing or fly fishing, and uh, just a little bit of surfing and a little yeah. bit of golf, where you just have a good time. And I, I ride my bike, you know, a couple days a week in the summer and lift weights. And, Minimal fitness, but and no more car racing. No, Give me the car money, racing. money drain. That is a money big hole. black pit, baby. <laughs> you can buzz a lot of money into a pit on that. Well, I kept hearing about that, but I always thought, yeah, you can get sponsors. Well, and I had some good sponsors for two years, and they covered half the budget. And the minimal pro series is 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 a lot of money, and to go above that is just huge budgets. And what I realized is that. Very few people actually are um, getting sponsors. It's mom and dad that are right. basically feeding, They're funding it. feeding the, uh, the, the meter there. So it's, yeah. it's hard to compete when you've got very wealthy families that were spending unlimited funds to, uh, to have their kids make sure they race fast. Well, you know, if you, you should think about approaching Bob Babbitt and competitive publishing. And oh, yeah. 17 or 18 publications. Yeah, that's no problem. Very fast. I'm thinking of it. Yeah. Let's go back to talking training. Uh, <laughs> Skid, when did you get back into back in the racing? Was that just the last year or so? Uh, no, I dabble every now and then. I, think I had a 95 off, 96 off, 97. What was that last Ironman? 97, I did off. a little. 98, I did the Ironman. Yeah, you yeah. finished it that Squeaked year. under 11 hours. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, we just talk, I was talking about with Tony Richardson the other day. He says, I was riding with Skid. We're on the Queen Highway, and we got to Kauai High, and Skid goes, I'm turning right here. Can I borrow five bucks? (laughs) (laughs) What year was that? Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) I had a lot of DNFs there. Yeah. Well, good man. That's a good reason. You had the best line ever. Oh, was that? That was the line in Chicago. People were like, well, how come you don't do Iron Man anymore? Have you ever been there? It's an (laughs) awful way to spend the day. That is the most impressive one-day event I've oh, ever seen. Oh, LeBron's been there. One, one, the 90, 95 or 96 yeah. I was there. But it was, uh, it was an incredible event. It made me realize I'll never do it. Right. And beforehand, it's so just, yeah. it's, it's just, you, in order to do it, you, you've got to be like a full-time professional. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of recreational athletes that do it, but... Uh, yeah, they're not recreational when they get ready for that event. Oh, no. I mean, you have to, you have to commit your life to it, and it's... Uh, it, and it's amazing the number of people who are so enthralled by that distance right now. Yeah. I mean, Ironman Canada sold out in, what, eight hours. Right. For, for next year. year. For, the day for after The day after this year's race, people staggered down at 6 in the morning to stand. Actually, they stayed in line, like, all night and got started registering that morning for next year's race, and it sold out that day. Well, Bob, did you, did you, know, did you know that people fly there? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. To, to go, stand in line. To go stand in line for that. Yeah. Well, I have to say, it's probably the coolest one-day event I've seen. It is a pretty yeah. cool one-day event. Yeah, I mean, I could see why somebody, if somebody hasn't done a competitive sport in their life, like, um, you know, if you were, like, like I've, you know, raced 19 years, you know, 14 years professionally. Yeah. I've, I've been there, done that, but if somebody who was a good swimmer, a good bike rider, a good runner, but had to go to college, had to go to work, and I mean, that's the master cycling division in cycling is the most popular. Right. Because guys in their 40s are saying, hey, you know, I've, I've, I've done the professional career thing. I want to have an athletic challenge. And I have to say, when you get around 40, you got to figure out something to keep yourself in shape. Yeah. Or else you're going to just, you know, keep deteriorating and, and gaining in pant size. So That's why you move to Hawaii and you surf every day. Greg. Right. Now, that's the type of thing I'm talking about. <laughs> there we go. There we got that's that surf thing good going. exercise, but it's adrenaline, it's fun, and you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. You don't get that sweaty. You're in the ocean. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> It's, it's the best. I think it's the, that's to me the best sport I've ever. Just don't tell anybody. It's already too crowded out here. I know, but you got to go to, got to go to deserted. Yeah. We were down in Baja in June, and we were on we were on a beach with two people, so it's still pretty good. Yeah. Now that's northern Baja near uh, near San Diego. Yeah, that's La Jolla. So. Don't be naming names on the radio about surfing. <laughs> Jeez, we spend my whole Baja, life trying to hide these. San things. Diego. So I'm. I'm keeping everybody up in San Diego. Nobody should go down there. That's right. So, Skid, you're in town here from from New Zealand, and now that you're you're you're, you're coaching over in New Zealand and primarily doing mostly e- coaching people over EPO. email, <laughs> doing EPO, coaching people with EPO. No, coaching people over email. Yeah, there's a lot of coaches out there doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I don't coach a lot of people. I hope never to coach a lot of people. Just doing it on a personal level. Right. Um, just having a few athletes that I can give some time and energy to. And then you're working with some other, with running a program over there as well? Yeah, I have a little gym and a little pool. You have your own gym? Yeah, I have my own gym. Yeah. What's it yeah. called? Yeah, we're, we're at New Zealand. This is in Christchurch. Wow. You'd be, interested, you'd be interested to know, Greg, that I have surf 20 meters out in front of my house <laughs> and great skiing an hour's driveway. Is it good surfing in Christchurch? Yeah. Is the water warm? The water's not that warm. <laughs> but it's, it's warmer than Minnesota in the winter, I can tell you that. <laughs> streams in New Zealand. It's not yeah. crowded. Oh, you probably, not crowded. You, you probably heard about the fly fishing in New Zealand. Yeah, I was actually going last year for New Year's, and then it, everybody in the lodges were jacking up their price. I said, I'll do it this year, but we're going to wait one more year. Yeah, there will still be fish when you get there. Yeah, i got to get there. It's supposed to be great. You just yeah. Do you guys ever get tired of it? Do you ever get tired of the sport? You've been involved with it for so long. Now it's in the Olympics. Does the sport still have the appeal from you know when you were twenty in your twenties and first got into it? Well, I can answer that pretty easy. Yeah. I don't get tired of it, but I'm uh, but I'm in a, a a little bit different situation because I'm at the end of the planet in a way. Yeah. So I don't have uh, quite as much daily contact as say St does here. Right. He gets people all day long and yeah. bombarding them. Yeah. No, not necessarily, though. I mean, you can choose to be involved or not choose to be involved and and not go to all the high-profile workouts right. in San Diego and not hang out at the bike shop and do this and do that. And, uh, um, yeah, you get tired of certain aspects of it, but the sport still offers so much polarity that if you're tired of a Olympic distance, you can go do an off-road triathlon. Sure. Do an Ironman. And it's, you can move it around, switch it around. Or and do change, a mountain bike race. Change your motivations, yeah. change your... Yeah. Kayaking, do all that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's extreme it's, golf. Extreme golf, Reggie. <laughs> There's the sport. Finley actually played in our tournament in Maui. 
Mark Allen and I were on a team, right? And we yep. uh, we actually set the record for the most amount of strokes uh, in the least amount of time. They were 136 strokes in what less than an hour. Oh yeah, you guys that's, were like 40 some minutes. You were flying. It's amazing how many times you could swing in that short of period of time. <laughs> and they were horrendous. I actually, the worst, the funniest part was we also put Jimmy Riccatello on a team with Ned Overend. And I came up on one hole, and Rick Tello was facing the wrong way on the tee box. He was about to hit it like into somebody's <laughs> house. <laughs> These people had no idea how to play the game, Greg. It was pretty funny. you got to come play that, though. You would I like it. I can play, but I can't run. So you could I can't play We had game. carts. They That's had the carts, baby. <laughs> yeah, they had carts, and then they sort of ran in between shots. So it wasn't bad. All right. Hey, Greg, I want to thank you so much, bud. And again, we've got the new Greg. Greg LeMond Titanium Bike, which will be available coming out in what, November? Yeah, November. November. 2001 model. Okay. I have to push it all on this radio show. Come on, baby. Target LeMond line of uh, accessories, September 18th. The Revmaster, which is uh, available now, starting in July. Yep. Greg, let me know which Target you're going to be at so I can go in there and get some cheap (laughs) shoes for my kids. The line's in all the targets, sir, so, uh, but me individually, I'll be one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the 8th of October. Oh, okay, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> ST's not going to Ironman no, this year, so October's pretty open. We'll surf. Yeah, uh, ST <laughs> did his 20th Ironman, so he's, like, wrapped it up. He's not going to be going over there anymore. I'm going to Eau Claire to see Greg and Target. <laughs> get some cheap running shoes for my kids. You can always use some new Ugg boots, ST. They have good Uggs there. Ah, they're fake fur and Target. Uh, oh, it's not the real no. deal. Hey, Greggy, thanks so much for staying up late and chatting with us. Hey, thanks. Hey, guys, have fun in New Zealand, Scott. And Scott, Tinley, I'll uh, All right. hopefully see you in uh, San Diego someday. Okay, buddy. See All you right, man. Adios. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Babbittville Classic Rewind. And don't forget to check out our huge library of interviews with the most decorated triathletes in history on Breakfast with Bob. Ask me what I want to be And I will say I will be